This is a week that we normally devote, or if you have share this week, do we devote either to issues of tshuva or to um, the upcoming Yom HaKippurim? Uh, we have uh, an opportunity uh, to do something a little different, although that's not really called for. There's no need to do something different. But um, to be honest, to Parshat HaShavua, Parshat HaZinu, is one of the biggest avlas that exist, meaning that it's it's such a shame that Hazinu is ignored the way it is. Uh, because Hazinu is always either Shabbat Shuvah, this like this week, when either Rosh Hashanah and Yom Kippur is on Shabbat, then it's uh then it's Shabbat Shuvah, then it's uh Shabbat Shuvah, or it's the Shabbat right sandwich between Yom Kippur and Sukkot. Either way, there's so many other huge things going on that Hazinu's fairly ignored. And it's Chaval. And I'll show you why how central it is. And I will make the argument, although a couched argument, sort of a not. I'm not gonna. I'm gonna. I'm gonna put some limiters on the argument uh, that Hazinu is the most important uh, parsha in the Torah, right? The, the Shirat Hazinu. Uh, why is that? So let's look at the lead up to Hazinu. Just a reminder that the end of um, of uh, Sefer Dvarim is a whole series of Britot. And it's uh, it's punctuated with some narratives. There's a the Brit that happens in Parshat Kitavo, several components of the Brit, including the Brit at Grizivan Eval, and then the Tochacha, and then there's a little narrative. Then there's Nitzavim, which is another Brit, and then uh, at, in Vayelech, there's the beginning is a narrative. And then we get to this pas- pas- passage that leads us right to Azinu, followed by a narrative about Moshe's death. And then there's the Bracha of Moshe to the Shvatim, followed by the narrative of Moshe's actual actual going up to the mountain and not coming down. So let's pick it up from the middle of Vayelech, which is 15 psukim before the end of Vayelech, 16 psukim. Vayomar Adonai Moshe, in kavriya mechalamut, kred Yoshua v'yatzvu v'olmoed v'atzavenu. So you're about to die, bring Yoshua. Vayelech Moshe v'yoshua v'yatzvu v'olmoed. So they come to Olmoed. Vayomar Adonai ba'oel v'amud anan, vayomar amud anan el petach ha'oel. The cloud comes down. Which means that Yoshua and Moshe are in Ohel Moed and they're blocked off. And that's a statement of privacy and intimacy. Now remember, Yoshua and Moshe are together, and Hashem speaks to Moshe and says, You're about to die. These people are going to get up and they're going to whore after the gods of the land. They're going to violate the Brit. Now, that's a horrific uh, nivuah. question is, should we read it as absolute, or should we read this entire thing as conditional? Meaning, if this happens, then I'm setting things up to, to, to respond to it. If that happens, we're going to read it charitably, if it happens, I will be full of anger on that day. I'm going to abandon them. I will turn my face away from them and they will be now vulnerable. Also terrible things are going to happen to them. And they're going to say, God's not with me, that's why this is happening. But not why is God not with me. God is not with me and that's why this is happening. Parenthetically, unlike the Tochachot and unlike what we read in, in Tzavim, we're not given any details of what will happen. Just a lot of bad stuff will happen. I'm going to turn my face away. Very famous Esther connection here. 
Uh, I will turn my face away on that day because of all the evil they've done, by turning to other gods. Now, is a word that shows up only in dialogue, and it is always got a causal relationship between what came and what's coming. Right? God, Hashem has done all of this for you. What does God want from you is a result. Right? And the Atah always serves that, that purpose of of launching you from the buildup of an argument to an action you're supposed to take or an attitude you're supposed to have. Remember, he's talking to Moshe and Yeshua. Write for yourselves this Shira, which Shira we don't know, and teach it to Bnei Israel, put it in their mouths, which makes it pretty clear that this Shira is something that Moshe and Yoshua are supposed to teach B'nai Israel and have them memorize it. Why? So this Shira should be testimony. Now, why do I say memorize it? Because, first of all, second of all, at no point does he command to write multiple copies. There's going to be one copy of it, one written version of it. And so the only way that it could be testimony for everybody is if it's also memorized, they have it in their mouths, as you'll see. Beautiful land. And they'll eat, they'll be satisfied, and they will get fat. And what's going to happen next? They're going to turn to other gods. They'll worship them. They will curse me, essentially, and and abandon or refuse or, or violate my breed. And again, all these bad things will happen. Don't say what bad things. All the bad things. And you can imagine, just play the recording of Kitavo in your mind. This Shira will then respond as an aid. It says if the Shira is going to take on a voice of its own. It will not be forgotten from their children. Makes it pretty clear you're supposed to memorize it. And pass it on to your kids and they're supposed to memorize it. Why? Because I know what they're like. I see what they're like before I even brought them to the land, even while things are tough. Okay, so that's the, the nivuah and the command. What happens? So Moshe writes down the shira and he teaches the Bnei Israel. Right, the classic Moshe Yoshua charge. Interesting phrase on I'm going to be with you, and my spirit will be with you, my teachings will be with you, however we understand it. Right? Now notice, he writes Ashira, he writes Divrei Torah. The two seem to be kind of mixed together. And now what happens? Moshe tells the Levim, who are the ones carrying the Aron, meaning the Kohanim, meaning he's got a Sefer Torah. But he wrote the Shira, which is it? Put it next to the Aaron, which may mean in, on, next to. So that will all, it will be a testimony for you, which means that the, the word, the Torah itself, is testimony for you. The Shira is testimony for B'nai Israel. Here we go. I know your rebellious nature and your stiff neck. Even while I'm with you, you're rebellious against God. 
V'af k'achret moti, ha'kavachomer after I die. Ha'kilu elai kozik neshiv techem v'shot v'chem. Gather all the leaders. I'm going to speak all these words, and I'm going to bring as witnesses Shamayim Va'aretz. Keep that in mind. We're going to get to it. He repeats, I know that after I'm dead, you're going to abandon me. Now, by the way, important to note, the text at the end of Sefer Yoshua, and the beginning of Sefer Shoftim repeats it, says that B'nai Yisrael stayed loyal to HaKadosh Baruch Hu throughout Yoshua's life and throughout the life of all the Zikinim who were around, who saw all the Nisim of the, of the wars. It was only after they all died out that then people started losing it, which means that this worked for one generation, or shall we say it connected to Yoshua. It's not just when Moshe dies, when Yoshua dies. Right? I know what happens. So now Moshe speaks to all of Israel, and he presents the words of this shira all the way until the end. Now, the what is it that he wrote? What is it that he taught? What is it that he said? So you could make the argument, you wouldn't work, but you could try making the argument that Hashira refers to the entire Torah. And the entire Torah is a Shira, and it's a beautiful notion. And Moshe, what, what it says is, is that everybody should have the entire Shira in their mouths, and they should memorize it, and then it becomes a witness. But it's difficult on several accounts. First of all, because the Torah is written in several genre, genres. Most of it is either narrative or law. And then there's some prophecy, and there's some poetry. There are some shirot in the Torah. Shirat Hayam, Shirat Ha'ber, right? a few other shirot, and Shirat Hazinu. But it's hard to say that the entire Torah is shirat. Besides which, how would the entire Torah serve as an aid about their bad behavior? Meaning, I understand if you want to say Aserat Adibrot, if you want to say the end of Parshat Mishpatim, you want to say the story of the Egel, fine. But the whole thing? Plus, honestly, to memorizing the whole thing, is very difficult. So the Rambam resolves it in an interesting way. The Rambam in Hilchot Sefer Torah, when he introduces the Halacha, Parag Zion starts Hilchot Sefer Torah, he writes, Mitzvat Aseh Akol Ish Ish Yisrael Lichtob Sefer Torah Le'atzmo. Right? So it's far for everybody to write a Sefer Torah. We're familiar with that, and we know it as the answer to a trivia question, which is, what is the last mitzvah in the Torah? Right? Good. Actually, it's not true. What's the last mitzvah in the Torah? The last mitzvah in the Torah is, die. Hashem says to Moshe, die. Right? Mucham. But, okay, but that's that's doesn't count in Sefer Mitzvot. The last mitzvah of the, of the, of the Tayag Mitzvot sequentially in the Torah is writing a Sefer Torah. We all know that, right? They could put that on Jeopardy and people would get it. But remember the Rambam is, is an absolute firebrand when it comes to this issue that to count something as a mitzvah, there must be a pasuk in the Torah that backs it up. That's the Rambam's first chorus in Sefer Mitzvot. We cannot count things that are extrapolated via the Midot, etc. It has to be explicit in the Torah to be considered a Doraita. Now, where does the Torah say? Everybody has to write a Sefer Torah. It doesn't say it. So where do you get it from? Write this Shira. Now, he doesn't interpret the Shira as being the whole Torah. What does he say? 
You have to write a Torah that includes this Shira, the Shira being Hazinu, because we're not allowed to write the Torah in segments. Not allowed to write the Torah in Parshiot, meaning you can't just write Hazinu. So since the Torah said write Hazinu, that means you have to write the whole Torah. Right? Somebody asked me a couple weeks ago that if that's based on this Rambam, if that's the case, so how can we write Tefillin of Azuzot? So the simple answer is because God said so. I mean, that's, it's easy. But there's another component here. What is the, the body of the Shira about? And without even seeing the Shira, you already know what it's about. It's a witness to B'nai Yisrael when they've done evil and bad things happen to them. It's going to include chastisement and rebuke and prophecy of terrible things happening, all associated with abandoning God. Now imagine if you had that as a separate piece. Let's say you had people who the only Torah they knew was Hazinu. They'd have a big problem. Think about it. They bring Hazinu and say, bad stuff happens because we did the wrong thing. Okay? Bad stuff happens because we abandoned the way of God. All right? We want to fix it. What do we do to fix it? I have no idea. I need a Sefer Shmot. I need a Sefer Vayikra. I need the rest of Dvarim. I need Hamidba. I need the rest of it. You can't, Hazinu can't sit independently. Tfilin, Mizuzot have independent messages that contextually are whole and, and bring their own message. So that's just a second answer to that question. So there is a mitzvah to write this Shira, and as a result of that, to write a whole Sefer Torah. So that's I mentioned that Hazinu may be the most significant parsha in the whole Torah because it drives the mitzvah to write Sefer Torah. But I want to show you Hazinu from another angle. Hazinu has a uh, a unique halachic uh, component and a fascinating historic component. And we're only going to deal with the halachic component today, uh, which is the following. We start with this. You all know this Mishnah, Mishnah in Source 3, and Mishnah at the end of Masachat Tamid, Ashir Shalvim Ayu Alvim Omim Vetamikdash, and it lists what the Shir Shalyom is on every day. The Gemara in Rosh Hashanah has an expansion on it at the end of Rosh Hashanah, has an expansion on it where it explains, where uh, Brighton, the name of Rabbi Kiva, where it explains what the reason for each one of those, those shirot is. Why is the shir or the shira of Yom Rishon Lashem Ha'aretzum Lo'ad? And the answer, each one of the answers for the first six days are all about the days of creation. On the first day, God became the king over the world. So Lashem Ha'aretzum Lo'ad. On the second day, um, he divided up different things and he ruled over them, therefore, etc. And that goes all the way to the sixth day. Why is the sixth day Adonai Because on that day he became ruler over everything because he finished creation. Beautiful. And then, they would say, And the Yom Shekulo Shabbat in rabbinic, in Midrashic verbiage means Olam Haba. So Rabbi Nechemia is bothered by this. And he says, Maru ben Why did the Chachamim split? Meaning, the first six days, the Shir Yom is all related to what happened in the first six days of creation. And the seventh day is related to Olam Haba. Right? So he says, rather, he goes to the first six the same way, and Bishvi'i Hashem Shabbat. 
Why is it means more Shalom Shabbat? Because God took a break. God took a day off. It means more Shalom Shabbat. It's all about creation. And then the Gemara makes an interesting side comment, which is Katina. Their disagreement is essentially whether or not they agree with Rav Katina, who's a well-known agadic homileticist. Um, and this comment is straight out of the Sugi and Chelek and Sanhedrin. The world's going to exist for 6,000 years. Again, a Midrashic idea. We can't go into it right now, of the, the details and the issues of it. And it'll be destroyed for 1,000. Now, I want you to listen to what it says. The world will exist for 6,000 and be destroyed for 1,000. Or desolate for 1,000. What does that tell you? Maybe it'll be reborn again after the 1,000? Yeah, because otherwise it makes no sense. Right. Because it's desolate, desolate forever. But right? I have a question. Is that possibly why on the seventh day it doesn't say how young them Shiva Shabbat when we say that? No, because why would you say that? It's it's because all the days are counting towards Shabbat. Hayom Shiva Shabbat, Hayom Shabbat. Right? You're counting up to it. But uh-huh. but here um he says that the that the world will be desolate for a thousand years, and his Pasuk is God alone will be elevated. And Abayah says, He says, no, it'll be desolate for 2,000 years based on a Pasuk in Hoshea. Right? He'll, on the third day, he'll bring us back. The Christians love that Pasuk. In any case, uh, that's not our issue. In other words, the question is, do we look at the seventh day as being the model of the this end of the world period of a thousand years of desolation or not, and that would then drive whether you link it that way. I wanted to give that to you just as background for this. And by the way, everybody knows that. Everyone knows Shir Shalyom. And, and with a little bit of thinking, it's easy to connect at least some of them to the events of that day. What did the Levim sing with the Korban Musaf? So let's roll back a second. When we say Hayom Yom today, Hayom Yom Shabbat, what does that mean? When would the Levim say that? So they would sing it with the Korban Tamid Shel Shachar, when the morning Tamid was brought, and specifically when the wine was poured onto the Mizbeach, that accompany the wine that accompanies the Tamid Shel Shachar, they would sing, beautiful four-part harmony, and it's great. <clears throat> So the question is, what would they sing when they're bringing the extra korban on Shabbat, the Musaf of Shabbat? So the answer is startling. Amarav Anan Barava Amarav Haziv Lach. That's the answer. Haziv Lach. What the heck is Haziv Lach? We're going to find out in a minute. The Amarav Hanan Barava Amarav Kederach Shalukim Kan Kachalukim Vedaknesset. And Rav said, just the way that the Levim divided up Haziv Lach. That's how they're divided in Shul. What are they talking about? So take a look here. And by the way, the Rambam, uh, take a look here. How does Hazinu start? What's the first letter of Hazinu? First letter. Hey. Hey. What's the first letter of Pasuk Zayin? It's Zayin. I made them large. What's the first letter of Pasuk Yod Gimel? Yod. So Yod. All right. What's the first letter of Pasuk Yod Tet? Rav. Rav. What's the first letter in Pasuk Chav Tet? 
Lamed. Lamed, and the first letter in Pasuk Mem is a Chav. Chav. Now, that spells Haziv Lach. It doesn't mean anything. It's just a, a mnemonic. And the point is that the Levim would sing Shirat HaAzinu, and on the first Shabbat of the cycle, they would sing the first six verses. The second week of the cycle, they'd sing the next six verses, and so on, so forth. So over the course of six weeks, they would finish singing Hazinu, and then the next week they go back to the beginning. But notice that the Gemara did not say that on that on Musaf they say Hazinu, broken up into these things. It says they they sang Haziv Lach. So we have several questions we got to deal with. Question number one is, why is Hazinu broken up this way? Well, first of all, why is Hazinu the Shir Shalyom of Musaf Shabbat, the Shir of Musaf Shabbat? Second of all, why is it broken up this way and identified this way? Not identified as Hazinu broken up, but as Haziv Lach. Third of all, let's take a look at the Rambam, and we're going to see what the difficulty is. The Rambam in Hechot Midin Musafin rules simply, Shabbat Omrim Shirat Hazinu, V'cholkin Ota L'Shisha Prakim Haziv Lach. Like the first Kazaliot and Shul. Every six weeks they finished it. They'd go back to the beginning. In Hilchot Tfilah, the laws of Kriyata Torah, the Rambam says something which makes this even more extravagant or interesting or, or contentious, if you will. Remember, Aliyot are are dealer's choice. You come up there to read. How much do you want to read? There's rules. You have to read three psukim. You start with something nice. You end with something nice. You want to end with something. So the next pasuk, something nice. The next guy starts with something nice. That's all. Which is an aliyah. It says in my sitter, shchamishi, hazma. And there's other rules about parshiot and psukim before the end of parshiot, etc. Aval. But the one rule is you got to start and end with something nice. Bracha, something tov, or a log. Etc. All the way to there, meaning Haziv Lach. Why are we stopping in these places? Some of these places are very upsetting, and we're starting in Aliyah with something upsetting, which means we're violating the rule that we have in the rest of Kriyat Torah for Haziv Lach. But there's something else that's startling is Hazinu is the only parasha that has set aliyot built into the reading, halachically mandated, you may not mess with. You have to divide it at Haziv Lach. So why do we do that? Because Hazinu is rebuke. We want people to do tshuva. Now, that would now drive us to spend the next, I'll be conservative and say three hours, going through Hazinu and trying to discover not only the themes of Chuva and Hazinu, but how this particular breakup into Haziv Lach would affect that, so that reading it with those breaks is really going to inspire people who are listening to do Chuva. But we don't have three hours. So I'll, I'll share with you what we're going to do over the course of the next 10 minutes or so that remain, or 8 minutes that remain. First of all, keep in mind that um, 
that Hazinu is presented in the Torah, there's a build-up to Hazinu. By the way, the very next words after what you read here is Hazinu. Hazinu, there's a great build-up. This is the Shira, and this is going to remain with you throughout the generations. Wherever you are, when you're in trouble, you're going to read it, and you're going to say, that's why I'm in trouble. And hopefully, the next thing you're going to do is to say, I'm going to fix it and do tshuva. Okay. So we have to see how Hazinu works that way. In general, we have to see how Haziv Lach helps with that. Breaking it in those places helps with that. And the other thing we have to figure out is what that has to do with Musaf of Shabbat. Now, there is a theory out there that the reason they read it on Musaf of Shabbat is because if you look at the end of that Gemara, you'll see it says that on Mincha of Shabbat, they would read Shiratayam and Shiratabe'er. So you could say, oh, yeah, Shabbat, they want to do Shira. But that's weird, because Shiratayam and Shiratabir are, are, are exaltative, they're exciting, they're positive. Hazinu is very frightening. So you say, well, we want to do Shira. There must be something else going on here. Okay. So all we can accomplish is to look at the first six psukim and try to see what's going on in these psukim, just as a general piece. But I'm going to preface it by looking somewhere which is very precious. The Sforno, Abavandir Sforno, has a comment on Pasuk Zion in which he actually, intentionally or otherwise, answers our questions. And it may be that we won't even get a chance to go back to the Yemen What I'd like to do is to say, over the course of the next five or six years, when we get to the week of Hazinu, we're going to study another Aliyah of Hazinu. Right? That's a great, great, great way of saying, you know, it's a way, great way of Kodesh Baruch keeping you alive because yeah, you got to teach Hazinu. Okay. Zechoyimotolam, look at the Sforno. Achar shishlim akdamata shira. The Sforno talks about how the first six psukim, first aliyah, is an introduction. Every shira has an introduction. And by the way, let's quickly look at it so we understand. He's either calling the heavens and the earth, he may be calling the leaders together. Essentially saying, I want my words to flow forth and sustain. It may be like rain, it may be like wind. Something we'll look at next year. Now here, key may be if and when, or it could be because. When I call on God's name, you all grant greatness to him. It's like basically, this is a makor for Zimun, for instance. You in, in, invite people to praise God and they praise back. But why, right away, we get into the theme. Hatsur tamim polo. God is the rock whose actions are perfect. He hold rachav mishpat. Everything he does is based on mishpat. El emuna ve'inavel. He's a trustworthy God, and there's no corruption. Sadiq v'yasharhu. Righteous, because sadiq in Tanakh, when referring to God, means righteous. Referring to people means innocent. God is righteous and straight. Now, this next pasuk is a is a hornet's nest. Uh, the Farshim are all over the place in explaining what it means. But we'll read it straight up. Shichet lo lo banavumam. Meaning, the, when the children, one way of reading it is the children have not heard him. They've hurt themselves. Dor taltol. A crooked and, and, uh, corrupt and crook, crooked generation. Right? Which means God is perfect. And on the other hand, the kids. <laughs> and it ends with this. By the way, there's three Masoretic ways of writing that word. Halashem. One of them is hey space and then Lashem. The other is one word, hey lamid, right? And then the other one is hey lamid separate, 
and Shem Hashem. Just in the Masoretic traditions. Are you going to pay God back this way, you foolish nation? He's your father. He made you. He created you and he formed you. And that's the introduction to the song. So watch what this forno says here. We're going to have to satisfy ourselves with this piece of this forno today. So you guys are going to hold me to this. Next year, first Aliyah. What did the introductory piece that we just saw, the first Aliyah, what did it communicate? That we're going to pronounce and announce God's righteousness, the justice of what he does. He is a trustworthy God who wants to do good for us. Which is from Bilam. He's blessed us, not going to take us back. And there is no corruption in the way that he has judged us. And then Moshe clarified that by telling us stories about the past and future. One, Rishonah. The second Aliyah. Originally, God wanted to bring all of humanity to this high level. Right? It starts out, Go ask about the original days. It turned out that all of humanity wasn't able to do it. He, he took on Israel and he brought us to this very high level. As he's going to do with the remnants of the other nations that respond to his call. Okay, very nice. That's Aliyah 2. Now, Aliyah 3. He gave us a beautiful place where we could worship him with lots of fruit and produce and everything good. But they rebelled. They paid him back with evil in place of the good. Somebody who behaves like that certainly deserves a big punishment. So what's the next Aliyah? Shlishit. Because of their great sin, they ended up in the traps of Rishayim, meaning behave that way. They really should have been destroyed. If you look at the end of that Aliyah, right? That the Chilul Hashem that would happen if Amisar was destroyed kept God from doing that. Or we'll keep God from doing that. Again, past, future, all mixed up. Revi'it, meaning the fifth aliyah, why they will be redeemed. And Chamishit, the last aliyah, how God's going to redeem them, and how God's going to take exact vengeance from those who were their enemies. Hold a second. Haziv Lach. He says, that's exactly Haziv Lach. Now what he's saying, what he's saying is that each one of these aliyot is a component of the story of the relationship between HaKadosh Baruch Hu, ultimately in the world, but essentially with Am Yisrael. A relationship in which HaKadosh Baruch Hu is Sur Tamim Paolo, and everything he does is perfect. And the only reason that bad things happen to us, even though HaKadosh Baruch Hu wants to do good for us, is because we have squandered 
and we have missed the mark. <laughs> okay, now, Pinchas, you want to say something? Can you hear me? Yeah. Ah, I, no, I didn't want to say anything. But that, say there. No, I, I didn't have anything. Okay, so Amarian came. So now he's taking us to the beginning of the second Aliyah. Zachor yimotolam v'tavim dachet tuvo. Ask history. Look through history. Look how much God wanted to do good and 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 be beneficent to all of humanity. He put us in Gan Eden. He messed up. They messed up again, and that was the Mabul. And again, he gave him a chance, and they messed up. In other words, he's saying. Means study history, read Sefer Bereshit, and read how God wanted to bring all of humanity to this esteemed, majestic level, and they kept messing up. And that starts the story of Abraham, of course, which then becomes a a specific group, specific tribe that he eventually calls and brings to Sinai and gives that to them. He says, but then learning from history means we got to remember there was a Mabul, there was a Palaga, there were all these things of stone. So that we're, we could easily be guilty of that. So we understand two things, but not the third. And I'm going to do the third right now. We understand how Azinu really does inspire the tshuva. And it really is very, very fitting to be on Shabbat tshuva. And even if it's right after Yom Kippur, it's a season of tshuva. It fits very well. We understand how Aziv Lach accomplishes this because each unit by itself has a profound message. But it's not a profound message that can sit by itself. You want if you're a lady, you want to get to the next week, so you hear the next message. If you're in shul, you want to hear the next aliyah, so you hear the next message. But the, each message stands by itself and can promote tshuva. And that's why the Rambam says, we violate the normal rule of Kriyata Torah here, because each one of these aliyot is there to spur us to tshuva, and that's what it's really all about. The question is, why Musaf Shabbat in the Beit HaMikdash? So I'd like to just propose the following which I think is also an important and hopeful message in the middle of reading something that's frightening. Hazinu can be frightening. I heard, remember hearing from my father once that, I think in the name of the Baal Shem Tov, that when in Mizmor the David, in Tzilim Chav Gimel, the Lord is my shepherd, uh, we say, right? Your Mishanet, which is your walking stick, but what's your Shevet? Your Shevet is your, is your staff. Now, remember, you're talking like a sheep, like a lamb, to the shepherd. What does the shepherd do with his staff? He gives the sheep a good patch in the back to make sure it doesn't wander off. How does that comfort me? The answer is, it's a beautiful answer. When a person's operating in the world, and they think nobody's paying attention to them, and nobody cares what they do, and when they do something good, nobody applauds, but much more egregiously, when they do something bad, nobody stops them. Nobody punishes them. Nobody responds to them. It's a terrible feeling. It says, when HaKadosh Baruch Hu punishes us, it's a great feeling of comfort because HaKadosh Baruch Hu cares. It's a beautiful piece. And so, Hazinu, as much as it's frightening, is a love song. I love you so much that I'm keeping my eyes on you. And when you mess up, I'm going to punish you because that's how much I love you because I want you to come back. And I'm going to come up with all sorts of excuses not to destroy you, because I want you to come back. That's how much I love. And so Azinu is a love song. 
but it's a love song that's not going to be put to any uh, jazzy tune, right? It's very somber. So why Musaf Shabbat? Because Shabbat is a time of the absolute intimacy between HaKadosh Baruch Hu and Yisrael. Goy Shabbat Chayab Mita. Goy aren't allowed to keep Shabbat. Shabbat is a private meeting between us and HaKadosh Baruch Hu. Oti Beini Uvein Bnei Yisrael. Le'olam. It's a sign between us. It's private. And therefore, the, the full experience of Shabbat is highlighted by the intimate relationship we have with the Kodesh Baruch Hu through history. And that's what Hazina was. And therefore, the Shir Shalyom in the morning is with Moshe Leom Shabbat, celebrating the fact that the Kodesh Baruch Hu created the world, or there's going to be Olam Abad, the two opinions. And at the end of the day, we want to end Shabbat with Shira, very good. But in the middle of Shabbat, when we're bringing that special korban for Shabbat, the Musaf Shabbat, the other ones are the regular korbanot, it's a daily korban, in the morning and the afternoon. Musaf is the special Qurban for Shabbat brought in the middle of the day. That's when we highlight the special love relationship HaKadosh Baruch Hu has with us, which is emblematic of Shabbat. And Ha'azinu is that song that really carries that, that message. And so this, this year, when we listen to Pashat Ha'azinu, you should listen, listen to the love. Listen to the love that comes across from Moshe Rabbeinu as the teacher who is painfully giving a lesson he needs to give to his people. And the great love HaKadosh Baruch Hu has for us, which is expressed in that shirah.